Welcome back to the podcast series from Square Mile Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jake Mole, our senior investment consultant here at Square Mile, investing, consulting and research. Um, in this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate, and we spend 10, 15 minutes or so chatting with them to get some insights into their thinking. Uh, and this week, I'm very, very pleased to introduce Seema Shah. Uh, Seema is Chief Global Strategist at Principal Asset Management, and we're very pleased to welcome you to our little podcast today, Seema. Thanks for inviting me. So, Seema, I feel that there have been four phases, uh, I think, to global markets this year, early recovery, then the US banking crisis, followed by a bit of an AI-led growth rally, and then a bit of a stall latterly with concerns on China and high for longer rates. When you think back to the start of the year, how, how have things turned out given your expectations then? It has been quite different on many different levels. If I rewind to January 2023, the general expectation was that China would recover, uh, their, their opening would be very successful, it would trigger persistent growth, which in turn would lift European growth and, and contribute to a solid global growth atmosphere. And I only say solid because the other expectation was that the US would be considerably weaker. And I think when we when we think about now, I mean, I think the Fed, the Fed rate outlook is exactly where we thought it would be, but the journey there has been quite different. And I think one of the reasons why it's been quite different is whilst we and everyone else were watching the Fed very closely, we all took our eyes off fiscal policy and we had almost forgotten how powerful uh, an impact that would have. So what you've seen so far is that monetary policy has certainly been very restrictive. It's been tightening away. But the fiscal side is more than offset the monetary tightening. And that's the reason why the US economy has been that much stronger than I think anyone had anticipated. And when you think about um, some of the recent headlines, in fact, there was a pretty gloomy one recently in the Times. Uh, is there financial disaster ahead? Um, citing, you know, the thirty-year um, Treasury yield going to five percent. I mean, what's your take on that? Do you think things are really going to be that bad? I do think things will be that bad, but I, I mean, I understand the headline and the fear that probably comes along with the kind of sell-off that we've seen, because typically every time you have seen a almost a disruption to the downward trend that you've had in place since the, the early 80s. Now, I'm going to use that hated phrase, but something typically does break. Right? You just have to go through history and you can see time and time again what happens. I think the thing is, is you know we don't like to talk about the pandemic anymore, but we really are living in a post-pandemic economy. So normal market macro connections, relationships have really broken down. In the very, so the, the environment that we're looking at is very different. You almost can't use history as your, as your guide anymore. The other thing is, is that typically as well with bond yields, it's the pace that they're moving. So we've already seen a very, very significant sell-off, very quick. And yet actually the equity market performance has been very sturdy. Uh, we've had a bit of a loss, but I don't think anything that you could say considered to be disastrous. So if the equity market has withstood the increase that we've seen so far, as long as we're not going to see 10-year treasury yields above the five and a half, certainly 6% level, then I think we can be okay with it because the US economic backdrop is still very strong. If they go above five and a half towards 6%, well, then I think all bets are off. 
I mean, probably need to get back to the draw board and really do a bit deeper analysis. But at this stage, I would say we're not heading for disaster. So would that then, uh, would you, it's hard to to explain to people what a soft landing is. I mean, there are various definitions, but is that is that how you see things? That, because the US is undoubtedly going to slow down next year, no? Well, look, I think first of all, you touched on something really important, which I think everyone should should kind of understand about this is, when people talk about soft landing, everyone has different definitions of it. Um, even a hard landing, people have different definitions of this. Even the high for longer, and when the Fed starts to cut, people have very different definitions when they say, oh, it's going to be very long. Um, so it's really important to, to drill down into understanding what people anticipate. So from, from our perspective, we are expecting to see the US economy enter two quarters of very, very mild contraction. I don't like to call that a soft landing because it still involves negative growth, but I also don't call that a hard landing because if you look back at history, this doesn't even feature um, relative to historic recessions. So this is, you know, it's a slowdown, but it's not the economy falling apart. And in that kind of environment, particularly if it's enough to prompt the Fed to start cutting at some point next year, together, those two I actually think can be quite powerful um, drivers for a market rally. Uh, but we have to go through a fair amount of volatility and disruption, likely, before we get to that point. Yeah, yeah. And what? How do you think this translates into markets as we move towards the end of the year? You know, typically liquidity sort of becomes a little bit lighter as people stop trading. What What was your take on on potentially rates, inflation, and, and implications for markets in twenty twenty four? Yes, I mean, from the rate side, we do believe that. Global bank rates, central bank rates are near their peak, right? If the Fed hasn't already peaked, which I think there's a chance it has, maybe it has another 25 basis point hike left in it. Then the ECB has hit its peak. Um, so many central banks are already hitting their le- the, the level, that the, the highest level that they're going to reach. Uh, I do believe that the inflationary trend is going to continue, although it's fairly likely to plateau at a higher level than the central bank targets but still a level that they can be comfortable with. So when we put that into consideration and you think, well, the market's already had maybe a, an 8 to 10% pullback so far, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily believe that there's further to go at this point, um, especially if the Fed narrative does become a little bit more friendly. The other mm-hmm. thing is, is that I think as long as the economy stays strong, I know good news is considered bad news, a hated phrase of bad news being good news, et cetera, but I think that is fairly true at the moment. But once that's settled down, I think investors are going to go back to remembering that, look, earnings are still fairly strong today. So I think at that point, equity markets can return to a fairly range-bound area, still volatile. And then it's only when you come into Q1 where some of that economic slowdown really starts to become quite evident. When I say evident, I mean the labor market starts to unwind. Uh, you may start to see one or two months of negative payroll numbers. That would be certainly quite distressing. So that's a negative couple of months of, of weakness. And then when you get to Q2 and you start to realize, well, look, we've got negative growth. It's not actually that bad, not even compared to the GFC. And the Fed looks likely to cut rates. And that, to me, is when the equity market can get the green signal to, to start lifting off properly. And, and what about uh, regionality? You, you've mentioned China. We've, we've touched on the US. I mean, are, are there opportunities in other regions, perhaps? Well, the concern I think for Europe is, is obviously exposure to China at this stage, uh, plus the fact that the ECB rate hikes do seem to be having the impact uh, on the European economy in the way that 
the Fed was expected to have an impact on the US economy. So we are expecting a further slowdown. The other concern for Europe is that if you look at earnings expectations for 2024, they are quite optimistic. You haven't seen that many downward revisions even as the economic environment outlook has been has been downwardly revised. So I think there's a vulnerability there. Uh, so I think at this stage, we're going into a period where Europe may um, continue to underperform. But the thing is here as well, because you have to come back to China, is that Chinese growth is bottoming out. We also have a global manufacturing cycle, which looks like it's troughing as well. Now, Europe is very exposed to that. Uh, so we would expect to see the European economy skirt recession and start to see a slight strengthening in growth once you get into Q2 of next year. So this is an interim period of weakness, and then Europe almost starts to lift in line with US equities. In terms of my favorite regions, though, I do still like Japanese equities, and I do like India equities. So those two markets, um, actually, most interesting about them is that they're very desynchronized for the rest of the global economic cycle. So Japan continues to do well. They've had the reopening but they haven't been marked by the same kind of imbalances that you saw for the US, for the UK and Europe. So their inflation numbers are healthy. Um, so that desynchronization is a good offset if you have got any concerns about the global growth environment. And then at the same time, of course, their yen is quite weak and it's bumping up corporate earnings. So that, that's one good thing. India equities are interesting because all their valuations are very expensive. They're quite expensive for a good reason in that their fundamentals are very strong against they diversified, but they're particularly diversified against China. So if you were to look at MSCI India, only around 2% of revenues are exposed to the Chinese economy. So if you have concerns about where Chinese growth is going to go, well, India is one of the few markets in Asia, uh, which will likely just keep moving in its own cycle. And that cycle from a domestic side is actually driven with a lot of strength and improving infrastructure. So those are the two areas that we do like. Fantastic. Um, now, what's um, in terms of your your house view? Do, do you have any major concerns? Um, what you, what's causing you restless nights in terms of what might be a really bad outlying case for for underpinning stability at the moment? I think the real thing that we need to be watching in terms of concerns is going to be inflation. So I have a fair amount of confidence that there's going to be this continued disinflationary trend. But if I had to pick the upside or downside scenario, I'm going to put more weight on that upside scenario where inflation starts to rise again, uh, and mainly because of continued strong growth. So first of all, I don't believe in a no landing. What I consider it to be is that where you growth maybe continues to accelerate, which then prompts further Fed tightening, and then you get an almighty crash at the end. So that to me is the biggest concern, is that kind of melt-up scenario uh, where inflation just doesn't disappear. And it does require further central bank action. As a as a strategist, you must be exposed to a lot of interesting data. Is there anything you can uh, impart with our listeners as to an interesting statistic or, or something you've picked up that you found interesting recently? So I, I thought I had, but actually I think you've already touched on it, which is just going to say there's a 10-year bond yields have hit a 16-year high in the space of the, the 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 kind of the standard deviation move is is I think off the, the scales, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, you know, the, as the yields go up, uh, you, there is some implication for economic well-being, but yet things are going very well, or there's there's some that exuberance. So you've got that juxtaposition happening at the moment. 
Well, there's one thing, I mean, there is one thing in that which is very interesting, which is, you know, people have seen the headlines that the uh, 30-year US mortgage rate has gone above 7.5% for the first time in, in many decades. That is very interesting. Um, and yet, it's also not that interesting because if you're a US householder at the moment, you're not like the UK where you're sitting on a five-year mortgage and therefore facing at some point within the next couple of years uh, a push-up in rates. You're typically sitting on a 30-year mortgage. So the fact that rates have gone up is almost irrelevant to you from a mortgage standpoint. Uh, and it's only if you're going to move home. If it's only if you're going to move home or you're, you know, that, uh, or you're buying a new property as, as a new buyer, that is the only time where actually these mortgage rates matter to you. Uh, it's one of the reasons why there's very little sensitivity in the US. And the other thing I'd point to, which is a little bit related, but not entirely, is if you think about corporates, because they have refinanced so much during the 2020-21 period, uh, if you look at a chart and see what has happened with Fed funds, we know that that's hit um, a 40-year high. And whilst Fed rates have hit a 40-year high, in the US, corporate interest payments have fallen to a 70-year low. Uh, so that divergence is a little bit shocking, and I think it explains so much about the resilience of the US today. Interesting. Um, finally, Seema, we tend to encourage our uh, advisors and listeners to think about the longer term in, t in terms of their client outcomes. Uh, what are you seeing or sensing in terms of future opportunities or the longer term uh, in terms of your sort of as either asset allocation calls or, or um, other opportunities in some asset classes? Let me talk about a theme, which is, I think, top of mind, but maybe hasn't been fully thought through uh, by the, the kind of the popular discussions that you, that you hear over the last few years. So there is a popular theme that we're moving into a higher inflation environment where inflation over the next 10, 20, 30 years is going to be um, higher than what we've seen over the past decade or two. And the reason for that that people play out is deglobalization, the shift to green energy, um, increased use of monetary fiscal policy, etc. All very true and pertinent topics. But on the other hand, if you think about AI and the potential impact of that, not just on productivity, but actually on inflation, it suggests a very, very different direction. Uh, you just have to think about the number of job losses that have already been announced by a number of the, the tech firms who are starting to engage in AI more heavily. Um, so I do question the validity of this idea that we're moving into a higher inflation world over the next 20, 30 years. And the other part of that is if you believe in US exceptionalism because of the prevalence of tech over Europe's uh, focus on green energy, if you believe in AI, then you're looking at a deflationary world. So US exceptionalism to me equals a deflationary world. Fantastic insights. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. All that remains for me, Jake Moller, is to thank you, Seema Shah, the Chief Global Strategist at Principal Asset Management, for those fantastic insights, and to thank you, the listeners, for your support as well. If you would like to contact us, you can do so via our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com, or you can email us at info at squaremileresearch.com. Thank you.
this podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremore Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremore makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremore at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.